One of my joys when I was growing up was uh, convincing my parents that I couldn't afford a car and I needed to get a motorbike. And so uh, I first bought my uh, 125cc Kawasaki, passed my tests, and then moved up to a 500 Honda FT. Beautiful bike. Loved it. But one of the things that you don't, I, I used to dislike about riding my bike was it was just beautiful when you go out on a, on a summer's day and you got the freedom of, of the countryside around you and a nice bike underneath you. It's fantastic. But the only problem is over here, you have to wear a helmet. You know, and I, I guess I was glad at that because every week I saw when I used to commute into London, somebody get knocked off their bike. And I was glad then I got knocked off twice. I was glad then when I had the helmet on. But there were other times where I wished that, you know, it just was so awkward having that helmet on your head. It's heavy and it's cumbersome and, and you can't enjoy the freedom. Remember when I was, uh, I was in Canada and, and I went around to a friend's house and he had some trail bikes and we were able to go out across the countryside, across the prairie. No helmet, no nothing, just shorts and t-shirts. I was kind of nervous in case I fell off, but uh, particularly as the bike seemed to be stuck together with duct tape at the time. But I was, it was great, that feeling of the wind in my then, then I had hair. And it was a great time to, to have it. But there are times in life where we have to wear helmets. You go on a building site, you're not allowed on without a helmet. Why? Because the number of times when I used to work in government, I had to go on building sites. I managed to hit my head on beams and other things. And I was glad for that hard hat that protected my head when I was crawling around scaffolding and other things. Some sports, you wear helmets as well, don't you? Because otherwise, it's too dangerous without them on. And today, we're going to look together back in Ephesians at the helmet of salvation. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Remember, God says we need to put on the armor of God. He gives us, when we become believers, His armor, His protection that we need to put on so that when we go out into the world, when we go and minister for him, we are fully protective. It says our enemy, the devil, has got lots of schemes. And he's there trying to throw arrows at us, do all kinds of things to take our attention away from what we should be doing. But God gives us his full armor. Verse 13, Ephesians 6 says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness. So the belt of truth says, I'm going to listen to what Jesus says about me, what God says about me, what his word says about me, not what other people are saying about me. I'm going to know that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Why? Because God tells me that. I know that I am loved. Why? Because God tells me that. I know that I am saved. Why? Because God tells me that. And I'm going to go around my days with that knowledge. I'm going to listen to God's truth about me, not the enemy's truth or other people's truth. Secondly, we put on the breastplate of righteousness. That's a right relationship with God. That covers our heart covers the core of who we are. In the Bible, the heart is who we are at the very core of ourselves. And it says we need to protect that core of who we are. And we do that with a right relationship with Jesus Christ. And that breastplate protects 
protects us, that we are kept safe in Christ. Then we have our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, that we have the shoes of, of the peace, the peace of God, which Mike just and we just prayed about together, coming into people's lives. And it's a gospel of peace, a peace that we take to others around us, that we are, blessed are the peacemakers, God says. And so we take that peace with us. In addition, it says, verse 16, take up the shield of faith, which we looked at last week, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and then take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Today we're going to look at that helmet of salvation. And as we do so, let's, let's pray. Lord, as we look at your Word, as we just think about those three words, helmet of salvation, what it means for us to put on your helmet today. Speak to us through your Word, we pray that we may this week not only put on all the other parts of the armor, but also add to that the helmet of salvation so that we go out this week knowing that we are protected by you. Lord, we thank you for all the gifts that you give us, the armor of God that you give to each one who believes in you. We thank you for it. Help us to use it in our daily lives so that we may live victoriously for you. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Now the helmet, I think there's a picture of the helmet somewhere. Have we got the picture? It'll come up in a sec. The helmet is the fifth piece of the armor. Now the helmet was, uh, there's a good looking guy in there. There he is. Right, The helmet was something like that. Now, the helmet was either made out, sometimes the cheap ones were made out of leather. So, uh, and they had little bits of metal then sort of attached to it. Or, if you were fortunate, you'd have one that was fully kind of hammered out of leather with the, with the chin straps as well to protect your face. And the reason they had the helmet was generally because a lot of, in a lot of battles, the enemy would come at you on horseback. And when they came on horseback, they had a two-edged sword four foot long, and they would wield this sword and try and decapitate your head. Obviously, if that happens, you're not much use. And so the helmet is there to help it glance off the top of your head so that your brains don't go everywhere and that you can continue in the fight. The enemy does the same thing. This is why Paul picks this up and says, we need to put the helmet of salvation on because our enemy He's trying to direct those blows at our heads, at our minds. And he does that by questioning us and and causing us to doubt. Doubts our security, our assurance in Christ. He does that often through discouragement. How many times in your life have you been discouraged? Where you want to just give up? Where you want to just say, you know what, what's the point? What is the point? There's no point in going on down this road. I'm not getting anywhere. I'm hitting a brick wall. I'm just like, I'm just going against it time and time again and nothing's getting, going through. There's going to be no breakthrough. What is the point? And that voice comes into your mind that says, well, you're just silly. Just give up. You're going the wrong way. Maybe this isn't what God wants you to do, so that's why it's not working out. And often it's because it's not in our time scales or in the way that we think. And that discouragement comes in. Or the discouragement comes in and reminds us of all our past mistakes. 
How many times has that happened to you? Well, you're not getting anywhere because you're carrying this burden of sin with you. You think of all the times you've messed up in the past. Think about all those things that you've done. It's just too much. It's too big. You're not going to get anywhere. Or there's unresolved problems in your life. These things that you can't seem to fix. You try one way, you try another way, you try a, a, a third way, nothing seems to work. And that discouragement comes in. And the enemy gets inside of your head and starts talking and you start listening. That's when you don't have the helmet of salvation in place. Because the enemy tries to put into us any negativity in our lives that he can put in. He wants us to lose confidence in the love and the care of the Heavenly Father. He wants us to say, God, you, you don't really love me. God, you don't really look after me. God, you don't really care for me. What's the point in praying he's not really listening anyway? What's the point in you know, doing this, that, and the other? He doesn't really care. I mean, I believe in God. He's there. He's up there somewhere. But he's not really interested in me. Why would he be interested in me? And the enemy gets in and causes us to question and to, and to start doubting our relationship with God. And the helmet of salvation combats every attack like that that the enemy can bring. Let's look at it in more detail. What is the helmet of salvation? Well, firstly, what is salvation? What does it mean to be saved? What is salvation? You've got a helmet. You know what a helmet is? That's that. What's the salvation? It's a helmet of salvation. What's salvation? Okay, I'm expecting an answer. Being restored, being saved. You can't use being saved as salvation. That's, that's a cheating way of doing it. What's redemption? It means to be redeemed. I mean, it's true, but yeah. What, what, what is it? Oh, believing in Jesus? Well, the first part of salvation, salvation has three different parts to it. Now, you have to recognize here, Paul is writing, isn't he, to believers. He's writing to the church in Ephesus. So he's not saying, when you put on the helmet of salvation, it's a, it's a means of you to be saved, to be brought into the family of God, because they're already there. But the first part of salvation is in the past. I am saved. I have been saved. And we call that in, in theological language, justification. You've got your Bibles. Turn back just a couple of chapters to Ephesians 2. These are a couple of verses, three verses. It's, it's worth memorizing if you can. Ephesians 2, verse 8 to 10, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That is salvation in a nutshell. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. First of all, when we put on the helmet of salvation, we are remembering what Jesus Christ has already done. We sang it, I am a friend of God. 
We are no longer aliens. We're no longer strangers to God, but we are friends of God. And why are we friends? We're friends because Jesus came and he lived and he died on the cross and he rose again. And by doing that, he's taken on himself everything that separates us from God. Look at the story of Adam and Eve. When they're in the garden, they disobey God. They basically say, God, I know what you're saying to me, but I'm going to do things my way, not your way. And as soon as they do that, the consequences of that disobedience that is seen in the story through the apple is that they are thrown out of the garden. God says, you can't live with me any longer because I'm holy and now you are not holy. You have decided to go your own way. And there are consequences every time we do that. And we can't do anything about it. We can't make ourselves holy. It is not by works, as it says. You can be as good as you want to be. It's not going to make any difference in your relationship with God. All you've got to do is mess up once. And we did that a long, long time ago. The terrible twos that you don't even remember, but your parents can tell you all about. That's probably when you first messed up. And as soon as you do that, it means that you're out of the garden. You're out of God's presence. And there is nothing that we can do to get ourselves back there. But the great news, what grace is all about, the good news is that Jesus Christ has come and done it for us. He says, you cannot do it, but God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in what Jesus Christ has come and done will be invited back and be said, to be now a friend of God. And so the first part of when we put the helmet of salvation is, it is recognizing that we have been saved. And we're saved, as it says here in Ephesians, by grace, by what God has done, by what Jesus Christ has done for us. And we accept that through faith. We trust in it. I can't, I can't take it, I can't, I can't, do anything about it, I just accept it and say, why? Because it's a free gift. It's a gift from God. I can't earn it. He just comes and he says, here you go, David. Here is my gift to you. And my only response can be either, I do not want your gift or thank you very much. It's like if I come to your door, I go around to Janine's and I bring her a gift. And I say, here you go, Janine. Here's a gift for you. She has two choices. Well, three choices probably. One, she can say, no, thank you very much. I don't want your gifts. I don't like your gifts. I don't want it. Slam the door in my face. Second thing she could do is say, thank you very much. This is a beautiful gift. I'm going to treasure this for always. Third thing she could do is say, thank you very much. And then go, oh my good, what am I going to do with this piece of rubbish? Throw it in a bin somewhere. I better not put it in my bin in case he comes checking later. I'll put it in a neighbor's bin just to get rid of it. You know, and it's the same with Jesus. What do we do with the gift? It's there offered to every single human being. And some people reject it and say, I don't want it because I want to continue to go my way. Other people say, thank you very much, and then they discard it. And they say, I didn't really want it. just didn't want to be rude. And others take it and treasure it and allow it to transform their lives. That's grace. 
That's what Christ has done for us. And when we put on the helmet of salvation, we remember what he has done. And the beautiful thing about a gift is that it can never be taken away. I would never go around to Janine's house and say, you remember that gift? I want it back. Can I have it back, please? That's, that's when if she's thrown it in a neighbor's bin, she starts panicking, right? But you never do that, do you? you don't get, you're not going to give Christmas gifts and then come January the 1st, go around and go, oh, I'm going to write them all a letter saying, can you send them back? Because I want to use them for next year. Right? <laughs> you'd just be cheap, wouldn't you? And you'd be going like, people don't do that. They give it and it's theirs to use. And it's the same with Christ. He's never going to take it back from us because it's a gift to us. And the first thing we remember when we put that helmet of salvation on is that we remember the gift that he has given to us. Remember what he has done for us, that it's a gift that no one can take away. But there's more. There's two other parts to it. Firstly, there is salvation, which is in the past, done and dusted when Jesus died on the cross and rose again, that we remember in communion and we think back. But secondly, the Bible talks about us being saved, that it's an ongoing process. Look in, Ephesians, uh, in Philippians chapter 2, just the next book. Philippians 2, verse 12. Beginning of chapter 2 talks about our attitude being the same as Christ. It says, Therefore, my dear friends, As you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. It's an active, ongoing thing. Continue to work out your salvation. It's about the here and now. It's about a process that's going on inside each one of us. We call that, in theological terms, sanctification. It's the ongoing working out of what it means to be saved. It's allowing more and more of God to come in to you and into me. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So as Mike said in the prayers, it's the already and the not yet. We are saved. We look back to see what Jesus has done. But the fullness of that salvation is not yet realized in each one of us. So we need to continue to allow God to come in and mold us and make us more like Jesus Christ. So there is the ongoing part of salvation. God is working in and through me. How? Well, he's bending my will towards his. He's taking what I want to do, and he's saying, no, you follow what I want you to do. His spirit is taking my desires and, and lining them up next to God's desires so that I will will, I will choose to act according to what God wants rather than what my flesh wants. And he goes on to explain it, how in reality, verse 14, do everything without complaining or arguing. Does that sound like you? So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. Firstly, he says, how do we do this? Well, firstly, we become united 
and positive in our aim. And secondly, we play our part. We become united together without complaining or arguing and positive about how we do things. So we work together. We are the family of God moving together in one direction. When you complain and you argue, it's because you want to go in different directions, isn't it? That's why you argue. You think something's wrong, you start arguing about it. You've got a difference of opinion. You want to go your way. The other person wants to go their way. You start an argument. But when you are together, you're in harmony, working together. There's that positivity that comes from doing that. And secondly, not just that positivity, but also we play our part. Do everything so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God. It's an active thing that we play the part that God gives us to be blameless and pure. The other day, we uh, took, my, took my parents down and we went to see the Lion King. I told them I would uh, mention them in the sermon as they're here today. But we went to see the Lion King, again, for me. Uh, it's a great, great production. But when you look at it, just think about the technicality of what it is. You got the orchestra and the conductor down in the pit. You can't really see them. They're under the stage. But they're all there, and if they don't work together, you're not going to have the music. And then because it's like an African setting, you've got the two drummers who are up in the, uh, in the boxes either side, right overlooking the stage. You've got drummers either side, and they're there drumming away. And they have headphones on, just like the band do here, because they have to be in tune with the orchestra down below. Because if they're not in tune, it's just going to be chaos, and the music's going to be rubbish. And so they have to work together. But then also, there's the lighting guy. What happens if the lighting guy decides to go for a coffee? Oh, I want a Starbucks. I'm out of here. And doesn't turn the lights up. What's going to happen? Well, you're going to have good music, but you're not going to see a lot. It's going to be rubbish. And we'll be demanding our money back. And then what about the curtain guy? There's one guy that pushes a button, I imagine. They used to have to do it with the handles. Do you remember those? But he probably sticks a button and the curtain goes up at the right minute and then it comes down. And on the encore, he's going crazy and he's earning his night's work, you know, as it's going up and down. If he decides, I'm out of here, I'm not going to work, I don't, I don't like him much anyway. I've seen this before. I don't see why anybody else needs to see it. Nothing's going to happen. We're going to be, they're going to be doing it behind the curtain and we'll just see shadows. And it'll be a waste of time. And then you've got all the actors, actresses there. Some of them are singing, well, all of them sing at some points, but some do solos, some don't. Some have main parts, some don't. Some are just the rear end of an elephant, and others are just, you know, the main, the main parts of the, the whole thing. Right? It just, but if they don't all play their part, we wouldn't be kind of like, whoa, this was just amazing. And then you've got all the costume people that put it all together, and all the... All the uh, I don't know, the designers and everything else that put all these amazing animals together. The whole thing comes together and makes an amazing show. And if any one part of that says, I'm out of here, I've got a better offer tonight. You know, the football's on tonight. I, I'm just going to stay at home. It wouldn't work. One part makes the whole thing fail. But because everybody works together, all come together, all play their individual parts, then the whole is amazing. 
And I guess somewhere around there is a director that is pulling the whole thing together or has done in the past. And he or she is responsible for the outcome. He or she says, this is how I want it to be. This is how I want you to sing. This is where you need to be. This is what each one of you need to be doing so that the whole becomes amazing. And it's the same in the kingdom of God. We all have a part to play, each one of us. We're all in that together. Some are in the orchestra, some are the drummers, some are the scene changers, some are the lighting people and the dancers and people who are leading or people who are in the chorus. Whoever, God is the director. And he is the one that says, this is the production I want you to make. This is how I want you to work together. And if we do that without complaining and arguing, if we pull together, we will see to our amazement how amazing God's production truly can be. But if we start complaining and going, yeah, but I I, want to take Melina's part. She's got a better part than me. How, How did she get a better part than I got? I want to take her part. And so we start complaining at the parts that God has given to each one of us. Then it all starts to fall apart. We each need to play the part that God has given us the gifts to play in the way that he wants us to play it. And then we will see the outcome of what the director has produced. So you need to ask yourself, what part, what area is God addressing in your life? We are all being sanctified. We are all being prepared for the parts that he wants us to play, both now and in the future. You know what God does? He takes one part of your life and he says, David, this part's not the greatest in you. I want to remove this from you so that you can grow in these areas. Let me remove this part of your life which is holding you back. It's not allowing you to sing as I want you to sing or play the drums as I want you to play the drums or whatever part you have. It's not allowing you to do that to the best of your ability. Let me take it away from you. Let me remove it from you so that I can hone in on the parts that are really positive and really the parts that I've given to you about who you truly are. And the problem is I keep going, no, no, I like that bit of me. Thank you very much. That kind of, I'm comfortable with that, Lord. Don't take that bit from me. I, I kind of like that. I mean, I know it's not the best for me, but, and we struggle. God just keeps saying, David, give it to me. Give it to me. Give it to me. And he says that for you too. What area is he saying that today? What part, when we put that helmet of salvation on, what we're saying is, Lord, I want to continue that process of transformation. I want to continue to change. Take more and more areas of my life captive. Take take them over, that I may be more and more in tune with you, the director, who is orchestrating the whole thing. Lord, remove the things of me so that I may become more of you. What part of your life is he saying that today? Because he keeps on saying it. He'll remove one bit and he goes on to the next and the next and the next. See, the problem is we don't like change. In Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. But that's Jesus. That's not you and me. 
We are not supposed to be the same yesterday, today, and forever. We are supposed to be constantly changing. But we don't like change. We don't like, we fear change so much. You know, somebody said that there are 572 known phobias. I haven't got them all listed, you'll be glad to know. But I've got a few here. Apparently there's a phobia called, I don't even know how to pronounce this, arachibutyrophobia. Do you know what that is? Nope, that's arachnophobia. This is the fear of having peanut butter stuck to the roof of your mouth. There you go. Next time it happens to you, you'll know how to call it, won't you? Ballistophobia. What do you think that is? Ballistophobia. The fear of the fear of bullets where you get ballistics from. Homilphobia. Homilphobia. It's the fear of sermons. It's where you get homiletics from. Anyway. Pelodophobia. I hope you haven't got that one. Do you know what pelodophobia is? It's the fear of bald people. Somebody said, most of us fear change in every aspect of our lives. Somebody says that the only people who like change are babies with wet nappies. It's probably true. And the problem is we don't like change. We fear change, all of us. We rather stay as we are. We're comfortable as we are. We don't want to go to somewhere else because there's an unknown and there's a fear that comes along with that. But God says, give that to me. Trust me. And when we put on that helmet of salvation, we're saying, Lord, I am going to trust you. I might be afraid. I might not know. I might not understand. I might, I might start worrying about what you're trying to do in my life, but I'm going to trust you anyway. Continue that process of change within me. You know, I used to work in the government. One of my uh, joys when working in government, I was responsible for giving money for tapestry repairs. You know, those big wall hangings that you see in National Trust houses and so on. And one of the joys was I got to go to some of the conservation workshops around the country. And there are people that are employed, and what they do is they take one of these tapestries down that's been torn or, or it's got bits missing because of mold and other things because they've been just hanging in damp rooms for so long. And they turn them over and they roll them on these huge, huge rollers. And then somebody goes stitch by stitch along there. And they repair and replace every single stitch that needs repairing and replacing. A big tapestry will take them three to five years to complete. Drive me up the wall if I had to do that. Pardon the pun. But um, you imagine going, I said, how do you keep your sanity doing this? Every day they go and they cover about this much, stitch by stitch, making sure it's okay. And in the same way, that's what God wants to do with you and me. 
we've got mold. We've got bits missing. We've got bits that shouldn't be there, scarred, that are ripped and torn within each one of us because of where we've been, what we've done, and so on. And God, through his spirit, takes us stitch by stitch and says, let me replace it, let me repair it, let me fix it so that I can make you hang again and be beautiful, to shine like stars, he says. That's what God wants to do. To do. And that's what we're saying when we put that helmet of salvation on. We say, Lord, I'm ready. Continue that process of change within me. And there's one last part to the helmet of salvation. It's not only that I have been saved and that I am being saved but also that I will be saved. It's about glorification. In 1 John 3 verse 2, it talks about that transformation one day will be complete when we go and meet Christ face to face. Then I will be transformed. And in Romans 13, 11, he says, just keep, keep on going because you know that you're a day nearer to that moment. And what we do when we put the helmet of salvation on is that we say we're going to point, keep our eyes fixed towards that end goal. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says this in verse 16 to 18. Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. That's sanctification. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And that's the last part of the helmet of salvation. When we put that helmet on, I say, today I am going to fix my attention on the eternal. I am going to look towards the goal. You know, sometimes when you go running, if you've gone on any marathon runs or long distance runs or you've done anything physically, you sometimes hit the wall, they call it, don't they? Where, where you just can't keep going. Your, your body is just like, your brain is going, oh, you've gone completely nuts. What do you think you're doing? You're not going to make it to the end. And everything in your head and your body feels like it needs to give out and that it's not going to get there. And you have to kind of press through that And the only way you can do that is you focus on that finishing line. That you go, no, I am not going to give up because I am going to make it to the end. I'm going to keep on going because I'm going to have the satisfaction of of getting there. And I'm going to push my body. I'm going to push myself. Even though my head says stop, I'm going to go through that and I'm going to get to the end. And we need to have that focus when we go through difficult days. We fix our attention. Paul says here to the church in Corinth, I'm wasting away, but inwardly I'm being renewed. How? Because I'm fixing my attention on the goal. And the goal is to be with Christ. The goal is to go through this world, to run the race, to win the prize, that I will stand before Christ and go over that finishing line and be with him for all eternity. When we put on that helmet of salvation, what we say is that I'm going to fix my attention, not on the things around me, but on where Christ wants me to go. I'm going to fix my attention on 
on him, the author and perfecter of my faith. I'm going to focus on serving him, playing my part. I'm going to trust him because I know that I'm protected by God. And I'm going to just keep working for him. He is going to be my vision. He's going to be the goal of why I'm alive and what I am doing here. Three things that we make in a statement when we put on that helmet of salvation. It's a statement of freedom. Firstly, that God has freed us from the penalty of sin, of our disobedience, of our broken relationship. That he is freeing us from the power of what that sin does in our lives. And thirdly, that he will free us from the very presence of sin and disobedience. When we go and be with him, he says we will be transformed. There will be no more sin, no more death, no more dying. Because we will be like Christ, completely transformed. So today, how is the enemy trying to discourage you? And when you put that helmet of salvation on your head, you need to know that you are protected. Protected by what he's done, by what he's doing, and by what he will do. It is done and dusted. You know, one of the beautiful ways of saying this in summing up is in the book of Jude. Don't often turn there. It's the one before Revelation. Just a really, really short book. But at Jude, it starts like this. It says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ. That word kept is tereo in the Greek, which means it's guarded. You, have been, you are being guarded by the power of Jesus. That's really what it means. It means that Jesus is standing there on guard for you. So you're being kept safe by Jesus Christ because you're loved by God the Father. And then scoot down to the end of this really short letter, verse 24 in the doxology. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. That who is able to keep you from falling is a different Greek word. It's philasso, which means to rescue you in the middle of an attack. It's like to build a force field around you so that the darts of the enemy, as we looked at with the shield, cannot get through. Those attacks in your mind cannot get through because you're wearing that helmet of salvation. And therefore you are safe in the midst of chaos around you, in the midst of the battlefield of life. You will be kept safe. Your mind will be kept safe by God, by Jesus Christ. Because he is the one who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. God does both. He says, I'm going to live. I'm going uh, to protect you. I'm going to protect you by guarding you. And I'm going to protect you when you're in the midst of the battles. Whether you're resting or whether you're right in the middle of the, in the, in the fight. I'm going to be there right with you. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. And putting on that helmet of salvation says, you know what, I'm going to live with that knowledge in my life. I'm going to let that knowledge that Christ has saved me, that Christ is saving me, and that one day Christ will save me and transform me. 
I'm going to live with that flowing in me and out through me so that I may shine like a star for him. Let us pray. Lord, we want to thank you for your helmet of salvation. Lord, because we all go through battles, we all go through times of discouragement. And those times we allow to happen because we don't put that helmet firmly on our heads. We don't stick it on there and say, you know what, I'm going to trust you, Jesus Christ. I'm going to trust in what you have done, in what you are doing, and in what you will do for me. Because what you have done and are doing and will do has already been sorted. That power is already at work in me and through me. That you have died on the cross for me. And Lord, we thank you and we accept that free gift. That you are continually transforming me. So root out all those things in me that are not of from you. Lord, we give you permission today to do that. Take them away from us. Deal with them. Nail them to the cross so that we cannot take them back and continue that transformation within us. And then, Lord, we live with that knowledge, that assurance, that certainty that one day we will meet you face to face. And it's not a day to be afraid of, but a day of great rejoicing and a day of great joy because you will present me pure and spotless before the throne of God because I am covered by what you have done for me. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. And Lord, we pray for one another. If there is anyone here going through difficult days and they need that helmet, they need to continue to focus on you because their mind is bombarding them with discouragement, with doubts. Lord, help them to put that helmet on. Help us to help them put it on if we need to so that they may stand firm with the full armor of God for your praise and glory. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in the name of Christ. Amen.